On this episode, Jeremy Scott joins us to discuss the advantages of buying assets as a fitness coach. What is Jeremy's $1 million car and the biggest challenge Jeremy faced after being financially successful? And as always, if this show is helpful, please share it with a friend that would find value in it. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome to Build Your Wealth Muscle a podcast dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs build wealth by saving taxes and growing their money. Each episode will break down different strategies in the areas of business, tax, and retirement planning specifically for your coaching business. Disclaimer, the topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation. Please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making any changes to your financial or tax situation. Now, here's your host, certified financial planner and tax advisor, Pat Darby. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Building Your Wealth Muscle. If this is your first time listening, you know, like there's, we do two show formats. One is solos, where I'll go pretty in depth on different topics like with tax, finance, wealth management, specifically for the fitness professional. And then other episodes like today, we have a guest that we bring on that they talk about their expertise in areas of business, sales, marketing. And today's guest, Jeremy Scott from Jeremy Scott Fitness. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, man. Happy to be here. Awesome. So let's let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into fitness. Yeah. I was an athlete my whole life, played all the sports and then Played basketball, full scholarship guy, all the way through college. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't really good at anything else. I'll I'll put it that way. I had like one real job. I was an academic advisor for probably a little over a year. And it just wasn't, uh, wasn't my favorite thing in the world. And I spent most of my free time just building my website up and just trying to start a fitness business, which back in like 2008, nine is not really a, not, not really a thing. So don't do it like I did it. Basically, when I, when I quit my corporate job, I walked out with no clients and, and no money and had no clue what the what the hell I was really doing. And that's kind of the the start of it. And I always loved fitness. And honestly, if I want to give me the deeper reason like why I do this the way that I do it, it took me being the normal knucklehead in college, just you know, athletic, right? But just eating garbage and, and drinking excessively and doing a bunch of other stupid things where uh, eventually, it kind of caught up to me. My body started to not the way that it was supposed to. And it took me going to multiple doctors, doing elimination diets, having intestinal ulcers, all these things to realize you can really heal yourself in a lot of ways with the foods that you eat and the way that you live your life. So I essentially was kind of the first transformation project. And that's kind of why I do everything the way that I do it today. I had one you know, corporate job ever. I was an academic advisor for uh, about a year or so, but it just wasn't my, wasn't my passion, I guess. And I really spent probably the last six months of that job just building a, a fitness website, trying to kind of navigate and figure out my way through. My roommate actually in college was a kinese major, so I helped him kind of study for the ACE exam and kind of all the things that surround that. That was, I guess, kind of the, the kickoff for me. But really, like my thesis for doing this, the way that I do it was... I, you know, like most athletes in college, eating garbage and and drinking and doing the normal stupid things, it caught up with me physically. And so, you know, going to, you know, how many doctor's appointments have intestinal ulcers, just really not feeling healthy anymore. I kind of had to reverse engineer all the things I did. And what I found was by eating differently, you know, taking care of yourself, you can kind of heal yourself, you know, from the inside out, oddly enough. 
And uh, that's kind of why I do things the way that I do it today, because I saw the power really ahead of me and and it changed my life. You know, I don't know if I'd be dead if I wasn't doing this, but I I certainly would be a different person. And so that's kind of why I live the way that I live today. Wow. So you were getting ulcers in college from like bad diet and things like that? Yeah. I mean, there was probably a point where, and I'm sure this is common. And again, like we, you know, I'm talking like 2000, like five, six ish, like the education piece has come so far in fitness compared to what it was even then. And like, we're doing all the training correctly and not that we're sure. eating always like trash, but there's probably a span where I didn't take a vitamin for probably two years or like eat, you know, anything of, of real value. You know, it's a normal wake up, um, eat pizza, you know, chicken fingers, a normal bullshit dudes eat, and then drink, you know, as many beers as you can on a Thursday night. And then you wake up and it's amazing that your body can still function athletically at such a high level when you're doing that. But, you know, I guess it's kind of a gift and a curse where my body at some point was just like, Hey man, this isn't working anymore. So I developed like, you know, IBS, I'm not digesting food properly. I have intestinal ulcers. And so I've, I've been through the whole show, you know, full elimination diet going all the way through. And that was Kind of my, I guess, like scared straight moment of like, hey, man, you're not Bruce Willis from Unbreakable. Like eventually you're going to die and get sick. And you, you, hopefully it happens, you know, 80 years from now and not uh, five years. Damn. And so now for the people who aren't familiar with you, you have a gym, you have a fitness app, you coach people online. Tell us about your business. Yeah, I started this uh, like 2008, like 9-ish after the world was melting down financially. So eventually I, I rented a space in person here in Scottsdale for about seven, about seven years, give or take. We built the online stuff up underneath that. It's first started off as just writing blogs. That's how our site would gain a lot of traction. This is before Instagram and all these things existed. A lot of corporate deals with like the Reeboks of the world, the vitamin shops, bodybuilding.com. I always looked the part. So that was, I guess, at least the one foot in the door. And eventually bought the building that we're in now where we coach and train all our people. So we still, I still coach. I'm there not today at the moment, but I'm there most days, uh, still coaching humans. Our app is in like 80 countries or so with people over the world there. I, this is all I do. I don't really have a, a hobby. I mean, I do, but I spend most of my time just trying to give back to people. And so the internet is what, I guess, makes the money, if you will. And not that the gym is not profitable because it is, but we're allowed to scale on the internet at a, a pace and a rate that I've never, I never thought was possible and seen before. And so with like the podcast and with YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, it's, it's become pretty cool on what you're able to do. Yeah. Now that's amazing. Like one of the reasons, like when I first started pivoting to helping the fitness community with their finances, all my colleagues like, don't do it. Like trainers, that's not where the money is. I'm like, I'm not really talking about the in-person people. Like there's this whole industry that people are, I mean, this was years ago, people weren't familiar with. So I get it. I think that's, I think that's awesome that you do both. Let's dive into one of the areas that this is what linked us together you had an amazing podcast and I hope people check it out. I should, I'll link it to the show notes, but you had an amazing podcast episode where you talked about your million dollar car. If you want to dive into that for, for the listeners and, and tell them that story, cause I think it's awesome. Again, I don't think people, enough people are talking about this. Yeah. It's, I mean, we name it that way. So people click on it and I, and obviously read it. The car is not worth a million dollars in terms of the, the trade-in value of it or anything, but it's the simple choices, right? Like most people don't, you know, understand finance the same way that they don't understand fitness, but yet they parallel each other in a lot of ways in terms of behavior patterns. And I never grew up with money and I never had it. 
and I just, I'm in Scottsdale. Obviously, it's very affluent. So I've been around like some of the richest people, like people who own jets. There's jet people and there's not jet people. So I've lived through that, that progression as a young guy. And long story short, I've never had a car payment. I had a vehicle and I crashed it one day like an idiot. And I was probably 20, like eight at the time. And I was already making like six figures training. I'm working my ass off. I'm doing all the right stuff. And I had a choice to make. I'm like, well, I need a new vehicle so I could do like what the typical can does. And it's probably not a lot of you listening, but the typical American is in debt beyond belief and they make stupid choices and they buy depreciating assets, things with motors and wheels that tend to go down in value. And I could have, you know, went and got a car payment for a Range Rover or Benz or whatever, but I decided, you know, I had a different idea of what my future was going to be. And I was comfortable paying 17,000 bucks for a car at the time and not a, not a cent more. And that was kind of my hard stop. And uh, because I knew I was leasing the gym we're in. And if I wanted to keep doing this, because I love the community and the people, I wanted to own my own stuff. And in Scottsdale, that's obviously no easy feat. And so I knew if I bought something that just got me from point A to point B, was reasonable enough, the repairs were cheap, I could take that same money and invest it in my business and invest it in myself and things that paid me interest and obviously paid me back as opposed to paying GM or Chevy or Ford or whoever else it was. And by that simple choice, if you, if, I mean, there's a lot of things that happen. I can't give the car all the credit, but the reality is because I didn't spend an extra 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 K on that. And then over time, as my business grew, I was able to invest in myself, mastermind groups, you name it. That money started to pay me, whether it be through like our SEP, through individual, you know, money market accounts. And I bought real estate throughout that. And that real estate, if you guys have lived through the last two or three years, you've seen this appreciation that we've never lived through before. And if I hadn't bought that vehicle for that amount then and spent all that money, it would have robbed me of all these future opportunities. And so I like to call it my million dollar car because it's kind of the thing that almost instantly pushed me into being a millionaire at what I consider to be a young age, especially when you're, you work in the fitness industry. I love that. I, I completely agree with you. And that mindset of buying something that will appreciate in value versus something that will lose value or have no value, I think cannot be emphasized enough. And I love it when I hear other people in the specifically in the fitness space talking about that. So I'm really glad you got a chance to tell that story again. I know you had mentioned one thing like the mistake you make is like a don't go broke trying to look rich. Is that that's something you want to elaborate on for us? Yeah, we actually just dropped like a hundred t-shirts off at our printer with that logo on the front of it. And there's a million sayings that are, are similar to that. But again, I live here. I love that. And as a as a kid, I always thought, you know, when you were rich, like they owned everything. I thought, you know, the, the people who are driving the cars and I wanted to drive and living in the houses I thought I wanted to live in, I thought they owned them. Like they just owned the house. They didn't have a mortgage payment. They owned the cars. They didn't have a car payment. And that's not accurate if people don't know who are listening. Now, there are people who really do that. I am one of those people now, but a lot of people don't. And there's a lot of people out there living in places way bigger and fancier than mine, driving way nicer cars with a higher ticket price than mine, but they don't own anything. And they're not really rich, but they're trying to look that way, I guess, to you know fill a void or, or find some meaning. And there's no judgment here, but if you think about it, there's really no difference between the guy who's in a $5 million house you know, driving a Bentley every day and the guy in a trailer park driving a beat up Camry. And what I mean is this guy has nicer stuff, but their lifestyles are very similar. They're going to work just for a paycheck yeah. to pay for the things they have. One guy it's out of necessity. And one of them I think is out of stupidity where 
And I say that because I think a lot of people could downgrade their material things and they could upgrade their life and happiness. Now, when you when you are rich and you got money and you want to buy some nice stuff, like that's awesome. But I mean for the people who aren't there yet. And there's a difference between being a high earner and being wealthy. There's a lot of people who make a lot of money, yet they don't really have anything. And there's a difference. If you're making 300K a year, but you really still have all these bills and you feel like you're kind of living, maybe not check to check, but you have to keep making those bonuses to sustain this lifestyle. I think that's the definition of like you're basically going broke, just just trying to look like you're rich. Because when you're really rich, the crazy thing is like, you, you don't feel like you have to do that. It's like when you're super fit, I walk around and I wear a hoodie and I don't like, obviously for Instagram, we game it a little bit and I do some shirtless bullshit, but that's not how I live my life and how I walk around. I don't want to go to a pool party and have everybody stare at me because when you're really fit, you know, you don't need people to tell you how, you know, the kind of shape you're in. It's the same thing if you're really financially secure, you don't need to flex on everybody. The biggest flex is just doing it without anybody knowing, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I think it gets, I, I don't think it gets enough attention. I love that you you talk about that. It's revenue and income does not mean wealth. It easily can translate into wealth, but unless you specifically take action, income and wealth are not the same. And so I love that you live in that example for the fitness community. Yeah, it's a simple concept that a lot of people, it's hard. It takes patience and it takes a level of like degrade, like kind of delayed gratification. But if you look at fitness, it's the same way. You're not going to be jacked or shredded or super fit or strong overnight. Like you have to give it time. The compound effect of you showing up every day, doing the right things, your money works the same way. Actually, money is way easier because you can sometimes set it and almost forget it. And it tends to grow as long as you're kind of diversified enough where your body tends to deteriorate if you don't keep showing up and putting in the work. So. Yeah, that's that's what I try to emphasize for the young people I work with and the young people that I hope to work with is exactly that. Like once you can get that snowball rolling, money is way better than your fitness journey because you just got to get on the other side of that compound interest and then it gets that snowball just is running downhill fast. And like you said, if you didn't have the asset for this last 2 years of growth, you would have missed out on much more than just the ability to buy it. Because again, once that snowball starts rolling. Yeah, it's, I feel bad. I mean, I don't, I could talk about this all day. I feel bad for people who, if you live through the last couple of years and you didn't own anything like hard assets or any investments, I hope there's like a correction to where some of this astronomical stuff becomes more like normalized because it just made the barrier for entry for a lot of people so much higher. And I can sit here and talk about how hard I've worked and all the money I've made. And this is, those are all facts. I go, however, the timing of it has also worked out to where if I was 10 years younger and I was coming up in the journey and now I was starting to get into the real estate game or something, it's it's become so escalated so quickly. So yeah, to have things that pay you and understand like, how long do you want to work for? And do you want to have to go to work or do you want to get to do the things you want to do? Like I love fitness, don't get me wrong, but I am under no you know, assumption that I'm going to be showing up at the gym, coaching people 15 years from now, the way that I'm doing it today, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to do that shit 10 years from now. I don't have to do it tomorrow if I don't want to. For me, money will buy you guys a sense of freedom and opportunity as opposed to material things if you choose to do it that way. Because the material stuff's always there. To have a, a flexibility and fluidity in what you do and the way you do it, to me, like, that's more so what I've used money for. And I think a lot of people would be happier if they did the same. What would you, what would your advice be to people listening saying, well, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. Oh, just for the, 
the listeners, like as a disclaimer, anything that we talk about is not investment advice. Like this is purely educational. But what would you say? Because one of the things that I think is exciting coming up is like if certain asset classes continue to decline, I think that people listening feel like they shouldn't take this as a time to make another excuse not to start because they'll see like the stock market falling, maybe real estate, definitely crypto as like, what would your advice to people to be when they see things going down in value and they're panicking? You know, the way that we talk, I mean, obviously like I have an advisor, I have a CPA, we have a team of people and I'm surrounded by dudes who have made real money. You don't lose money. If you own any of these assets, you don't lose anything until you guys sell it. Like that's the reality. So if you're looking at retirement stuff and if the retirement age is, I think, 59 and a half before you can pull your stuff out, if you're 38 years old, you got 20 years to let that stuff kind of go through the ups and downs. And if you're looking at the market, if you believe in America and you believe these companies are still going to be around and still, you know, keep making money and still trying to grow profits, you're going to be okay. So when you see stuff move and shift a little bit in a negative direction, it doesn't affect you today because you didn't lose anything. You know, it really wasn't, I mean, I guess it was quote unquote your money, but you guys are not day trader. No offense, anybody. You're not smart enough to be like the top dudes who are doing this. So just take the kind of the long game approach. It's just like fitness. You don't get super fit in a day. I mean, you don't get super out of shape in a day. It's the same thing with money. You're just investing in things that you either know about or you believe in and you believe that are going to be around over time. And ask yourself the question when you see like, oh, my, if your real estate, quote unquote, went down, well, do you think homes are going to be worth more in 10 years than they are today? The answer is more than likely, yes. It's the same thing if you look at the S&P or the Dow, it's probably going to be higher in a decade than it is now. And honestly, when the stuff starts you know, eating shit or going down, that's your chance to buy. Like when other people are fearful, you can be greedy and then vice versa. I think that's like the Warren Buffett quote. So when yeah, I see stuff like that, that, it's just like it's a fire sale. You grab your stuff and just keep plugging away. If you dollar cost average, like you guys will be all right. Yeah. I think for young people who's, who are on the sidelines who haven't started yet, this is a great opportunity to start getting your ducks in a row to start getting involved because exactly you said, like if you're in your twenties or thirties or it doesn't really matter how old you are, you have to start at some point. Like, you know, what's that? What's that quote? I think it was like Joe Rogan. It's like, I should have started 20 years ago. Well, you didn't. So fucking start today. I love that. I'm glad I'm again. I don't think a lot of people are talking about that. And my goal is always try to get that to resonate to people that are like just starting out. Cause if you could start, cause I didn't start in my early twenties. I wish I had. I wish people had really instilled that in me to to really get going because that really runs downhill fast if you're in, if you start in your early 20s. So if you're a fitness coach, obviously you've been doing this a while, so your expertise is is really valuable. If you had to pick one or two important metrics that a fitness coach should be tracking in their business, what would you recommend they they should be tracking? Yeah, I mean, the basic leads and conversions, you know, simple stuff. It's a business at the end of the day, like we can talk about helping people and that's all great. But if your doors are closed, you can't really help anybody. So what are the leads and like, what are, what are the conversions that are coming in? And um, just keep it a normal, like basic P&L sheet, like is the business profitable? And just realize like what is going in, what's coming out and what, it, what are your goals? And that's the one thing, I guess, those things always shift and change. And, and a lot of people tend not to write those down and, and not track those. And it doesn't always have to be monetary wise, but if there's a certain number you need to make, like you have to be really diligent about that. And the same thing I think about budgeting your personal finance or your business, like every dollar should have kind of a place to go. And you should kind of know where those dollars are going. And when you allot 
kind of the money that comes out, like, you know, what are you going to take? What's the business going to take? And what are you going to save, you know, for your business, for your retirement and for yourself kind of moving forward? And I don't think a lot of people do that enough. They just kind of get into it and like, oh, I love fitness and they're terrible business people. That's why a lot of fitness people are broke as shit. It's like, I'm not saying you have to be an expert. I go, but odds are you're training some finance people and you're training some people who are affluent and have money. You can, you know, gain a lot by standing on the shoulders of giants. So you just kind of beg, bar and steal their, their best practices. And you can kind of hodgepodge what they tell you and then use that with, hopefully you have a financial advisor or you have somebody who can give you at least the basics, but those things you, you have to track and you just have to know. Yeah. I think that's, that's great advice. So I'm glad you brought up like budgeting because I feel like it's, like again, the, the comparisons between fitness and finance are really limitless. But like the same way, I don't know how you, someone would lose weight if they had no clue what they were eating, if they have no clue what their calorie intake is, and yet people do that with their finance all the time. They don't know what goes in, what goes out, and they expect to have some sort of sustainable wealth. And I just think it's almost impossible. It, I mean, it rarely happens unless you're just such a successful high earner and you don't like any material things, I guess it might, you know, turn out on the the right side or wrong, but it's the same thing. Like people wander into debt super easily the same way they wander into being overweight. And what I mean is like, if you look at credit card balances across America or the disproportionate amount of money people spend on their cars and their houses, it's not like most people got into a ton of debt in a single decision. It's they, they spent 800 bucks here, 66 bucks here, 200 bucks here. And eventually their credit card's 20 grand, you know, behind. It's the same way with, with weight, right? Like even the guys I played with in college, bless their heart, some of them gained three, four pounds a year, every year for the past 10, 12, 13, 14 years. Now they're 40, 50 pounds heavier. They really mirror themselves. So you need to know what's coming in the account, what's going out the account. If you're talking investing, you diversify it just like you diversify macros. Yeah, the calories in and calories out matters, but how those calories are diversified that makes all the difference in the world in terms of body composition, how you're going to look, how you're going to move and how you're going to feel. So they are one in the same. It's like you need a roadmap to success. Like I wouldn't drive from here to Minnesota with no GPS. Like I might make it, but I might end up in like Iowa. You know what I'm saying? Like it's the same thing with your money. You have to have kind of a blueprint and you can be fluid with it for sure, but there has to be an outline. And every month is different, especially when you budget, you have fixed costs for sure. But certain things are going to go wrong. It's not if, it's when they will. And so having like emergency funds and things kind of built in for that, like contingencies is super important if you're going to navigate, especially these, the super weird time you're in now where if you think inflation is 9%, I can sell you, you know, beachfront property like in Orlando. Like it's just, it's ridiculous, dude. Like it's way higher than that. So you have to really understand when the world is eating it, can you survive and can you actually thrive in those times? I'm glad you touched on that too. Like it's to say it's 9%, you know, not in any grocery store, not in any gas station. Yeah. Having, having your emergency reserves is probably more important than ever in, in the upcoming year. And for a lot of people, like if you're trying to take advantage of stuff, this would be the time that you probably can when there is a down. And I hate to say this, but like, it's, it's how I bought in real estate. Like people before me have foreclosed on it. I'm talking like 07, 08. I'm buying it for pennies in the dollar. It helps. And the same thing with the people with these car leases. If you look at the, the defaults now on cars. Yeah, it's it's the unfortunate reality of investing. I mean, in the stock market, it's a zero sum game. You, as someone is losing when you're winning and vice versa. And most asset classes, you're you're taking someone else's position. So get ready to find opportunities. Unfortunately, if there is a winner, there's typically a loser on the other side with most asset classes. So 
for people that are concerned, this is probably a time to get ready to take action because there's going to be opportunities, unfortunately, because inflation's got to be hurting people more than the news is letting us know. Oh, 100%, dude. Yeah, it's something's going to give. I don't know exactly what or when, but you can, if you feel like this is normal, it is not. I, pr I promise you that. I couldn't agree with you more. How bad it'll get, I, I don't know, but it, it feels like there's too much trying to tell us things are great when everyone's just kind of scratching their head. Like it like feels like it's not like mo most people I know that inflation doesn't hurt them financially. It's just more annoying, but we know that's not the case for the vast majority of the population or maybe not the majority, but a significant percentage of people, this is more than painful financially. Yeah. Yeah. If this is the trajectory, I mean, you'll see a level of hopelessness for anybody who doesn't own stocks or real estate to even get in the game. The barrier for entry is so high. It almost feels like it's unattainable, especially like if you're here, you're talking like a one bedroom, one bath condo for half a million bucks. Like that's insanity, you know, and that, that can't be what a 25 year old kid who makes a hundred grand a year is trying to qualify for. It just seems like that's not a world I want to live in. And I don't think that's one that any of these industries can really support either. I totally agree with you. I, I think that things are getting priced too high and the market, if it becomes a free market, like it should be, we'll have to reset that, you know, in, in a lot of areas. Like we could, we could dive into many sectors that I feel like the, the government's propping up and their inflation has always been historically high, like education and things like that. It's like, there's no reason that should be growing more than two times the normal average inflation rates for decades. Like, but no, I so digress. If you guys got money, just sit on sit on your money, and, and when it starts to really eat shit, then that's when you that's when you can buy some stuff and you'll be okay. Yeah, but exactly like you said before, like the Buffett quote, like when people when things get really scary, you should probably go against the grain. Like be smart. Like exactly like Jeremy said, like you want to find things that you understand. You know the risks of. You understand how they work, but. Don't be like everyone else that's hiding because that's when the opportunities like people that were making bold and risky moves throughout the country, buying real estate in like Southern Florida and all the areas like the hardest hit 12, 13 years ago, they're the ones that have the most upside and, and are, so I think we're going to see something very similar in, in a lot of the asset classes. hundred percent, dude. Let's talk about like a, an obstacle or a challenge that you would say you had to face or overcome after your business got to the point where you were quote unquote successful? Really for me, it's just the biggest problem I have is where do I spend my time, right? It is a business, so it has to make money. We employ people and they depend on us. It's a different when, you know, you sign the checks in the front and not the checks in the back. So uh, my biggest dilemma is doing the things that I like to do and the things that I know really help people versus the things that make the most money. And sometimes there's a crossover and sometimes there's not. Like financially, it makes zero sense for me to actually go train a human like in person. As a, as there's just no way I'd have to charge them like a thousand bucks an hour for it to make any like fiscal sense. And obviously like that's not attainable and we're not gonna do that. So, but I do it because it gives me some kind of like emotional, you know, income, I guess. And that's important to me. So it's a balancing act. And that's probably the hardest thing where like, I, I love the community. I love the gym. Obviously we own the real estate. So there's that uh, aspect of it, but I could easily rent it out to like a motorcycle shop and charge them 10 grand a month and sit on my ass and make, you know, 10,000 bucks, you know, watching yeah. Seinfeld on Netflix. But 
that's not going to, you know, fulfill me. So that for me is probably the biggest thing is just kind of picking and choosing and honestly just setting myself up for like, what, what do I want the future to kind of look like or what kind of options do I want to have? And it's, there's no right answer. There's no handbook on any of this stuff. And so for me, that's probably the biggest one is where, where is my time best served and where's the balance between what fulfills me internally and what, you know, makes the most dollars. When would you say that you started to have, have that conflict or decision to make? Like at what point in your business did you feel that was the newest big stress? If, if that was a, if I phrase that question in a decent way. <laughs> yeah. They're just a tipping point. Like and everybody's, you know, probably different for us. It's when the, we've been on the internet, like training people for I believe like eight years now, probably the last, last four or five, it's drastically changed in terms of revenue in reach in what we can do. And I think that's, you know, the fact of like, I've been doing this for so long form content, like the podcast has helped build relationships and do a lot of these things. But uh, yeah, probably the last four or five years where we've seen a huge money shift. And I hate to say this because like, I thought the pandemic sucked shit and it was the least amount of fun I've ever had, but also the most amount of money we've ever made and the most growth I've seen in our stuff across the board because everybody was stuck at home feeling like shit. And even though I wasn't having fun, I just decided to sit there and work for like 13 hours a day, just creating as much stuff for the world and people as I could. Cause I was kind of just, you know, trapped. Uh, there's nothing I could do. And so, yeah, the last handful of years I've seen a major, major change just because the scalability of, of what we can do. I'm kind of torn between, you know, what I've always done and then kind of this new, this new world that we're diving at first into your last okay. thought you just asked me like when it like when i saw the biggest shift between like doing things like when i found the dilemma of like what i'm supposed to do versus like what we should do business-wise and that so probably the last you know we've been online for eight eight-ish years give or take but the last probably four or five the biggest the biggest shift with just how we've done social media the podcast probably in particular just because long-form content we've been able to kind of build a relationship with people so that's where you're looking at like, okay, I can make all this money doing this, but this is also super important to me. And that's, you know, it, it's a luxury problem. I'm not going to, don't feel bad for me. It's something that personally, like I'll feel I probably will deal with, you know, until I either, you know, don't do the gym anymore or we just kind of do it in a different way. So I'm, I'm blessed to have that problem, but it definitely is a, an internal conflict for sure. So when, as you started to grow the business, like whether you're a new coach or someone seasoned that's doing extremely well financially in the business, what would your advice be to them or what questions should they ask themselves to decide when to divide profits between their personal assets, like pull it out of the business so they are secure if something happens versus reinvesting in the business? How would you give them advice or questions they could ask themselves to help get to that answer? You know, it's going to be different for, for each one of you guys. You just have to, you know, Ask yourself what's most important to you today and what is going to be important to you like three, five, 10 years from now. And only you you know the answer to that. But, you know, how many pairs of pants do you really need, right? Like how many pairs of shoes, what kind of car do you need to drive? Are you doing that because you're a car person and you love it? Or are you doing it to flex on Instagram and, and for your friends to look like you're fancy? Personally, I would tell you live as cheap as you can personally, as long as you can. Have your business have like at least six months of like emergency expenses. If you can have a year, cool. But if you get at least six months, kind of help you stay afloat and think, in case things go sideways. I think the same thing for your personal life. Like if you had a major emergency, could you cover a, a new AC unit or if your car blew up, these basic things? And especially when you're starting out, like you got to care about your business like it's a person. I know it sounds weird to say, 
but I care about this thing like it's a human being. If my house burned down, like I don't give a shit. I got insurance, I'll buy another one. But all the things I've created with my time and my life, if that went away, it would crush me. I'd be super sad about it. So, and again, I did this. I lived like a cheap ass for a long time. And I'm sure my wife wanted to murder me along the way. But now you look at it, you can kind of reap the benefits of those early sacrifices. I kind of compare it to if you're flying on a plane, like you can fly Southwest seat C46, sit in the middle seat, or you can fly first class on Delta, bro. Like it's completely different. And would you rather fly first class for the first 25 years of your life and then have the shitty Southwest seat the last 50? Like personally, when you're younger, I think it's easier for you guys to kind of struggle and kind of eat shit because your your business isn't mature enough yet. You haven't you can't reap all the benefits of the, the fruit you just planted. You got to just kind of give it time to grow. So I would pump as much back into it as you can. Still live your life and enjoy stuff. But just know like the, if you do it right, those things are going to be there. And the, the, the compound interest and, and the asset stuff you can invest in that are going to pay you, it's worth way more, dude, than any fancy material thing today. Because those things get old. Those other things just kind of grow. I think that's perfect advice. This has been awesome. I hope the quality comes out. My, my editor is probably going to kill me. But where would listeners, if they want to learn more about you and your company, what's the best way for them to find you? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a genius. So everything is, is a uh, Jeremy Scott fitness everywhere. So Jeremy Scott fitness.com, <laughs> Jeremy Scott fitness.app is our app. The Jeremy Scott fitness podcast, Instagram, we're huge Facebook, YouTube. It's all just Jeremy Scott fitness. If you guys got a question and you reach out, I'm, I'm happy to answer again. I'm not giving you financial advice, but I'm saying it because I was once a broke just idiot knucklehead. And I've learned all this stuff just by literally listening to people much smarter than me and doing the things that they did and not doing the things that they did that lost them money and set them back for years. And it's not a, a rocket science formula. Fitness is the same way. Your fitness is, your finances are almost exactly the same as you would do your fitness. So if you need something, just ask. And again, if I can do it, if you're patient enough, I promise you guys, you, you can do the same or, or probably even better. That's awesome. And the links to everything for Jeremy, including his podcast episode that he goes even more in depth on how he's done it with his million dollar car episode. I'll have that in the show notes as well. But thank you so much, Jeremy, for joining us. This has been, this has been great. You got it, man. Happy to do it. Any Anything you need, just hit me up. And if you're ever in the Scottsdale area, man, we'll bring you on ours and we'll wrap on there too. Sounds awesome. Thank you. You got it, man. Thank you for joining us this week on Build Your Wealth Muscle. The links mentioned in this episode are available in the show notes. For video clips and more information on tax and retirement strategies for fitness entrepreneurs, please follow my Instagram at the Pat Darby. If you found value in this episode, please do us a favor and share with a friend. If you tag me, that'd be appreciated also. Lastly, for help implementing any of the topics discussed, please book a call. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.